the late 18th century, there was a young British politician from Yorkshire, uh, an MP, as they call them over in the UK, at the ripe young age of 24, who was elected to the British Parliament named William Wilberforce. Less than a year after his election to Parliament, Wilberforce converted to Christianity, which actually led him into a period of questioning whether or not his life as a public figure and his life as a Christian could coexist with each other. Ultimately, he decided that they were compatible and that his faith could influence his work as a politician, uh, contributing to the defining issue of Wilberforce's career, which was his work towards abolishing the slave trade, one of the greatest humanitarian atrocities of the age. My name is Ryan Stalkup. I am one of the campus ministers here at the Wesley Foundation. We're so glad that you're here with us uh, tonight. It's the beginning of this uh, young semester. Um, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Uh, if you brought a Bible or some copy of Scripture with you, and you would like to read along. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, second, yeah, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God has been generous to you. So be generous with what you have. And what you always have is grace. If you spent much time in or around the church in your life, then you've probably heard of the term uh, or the concept of being a cheerful giver. In second, here in 2 Corinthians, where uh, this term originates, Paul is uh, talking about being a generous giver. He says uh, we are to sow bountifully so that we can reap bountifully, and not reluctantly, but cheerfully. But it doesn't stop there. At the root of these verses, uh, what we find is this concept of abounding grace. We're talking for these first few weeks of the semester about abiding and abounding. Last week, Hugh focused on abiding for us. He led the way there. So uh, if you were expecting a uh, follow-up from me this week on abounding, then uh, welcome to Wesley. Uh, now, you might say to yourself, well, Ryan, uh, you know, why are we talking about uh, abounding grace in the context of a passage that is all about giving, as in like money, giving money? And that would be a good question, because if you've spent time uh, in and around the church in your life, then there's a good chance that you've heard some of these verses before, and they were probably talking about either one of two things in that moment. Number one, you were bring, being preached the prosperity gospel, which is not a rabbit hole that uh, I'm going to dive down for us uh, tonight. So we'll leave it at if your version of faith is built on 
uh, the idea of you getting rich, or if your pastor owns a jet, you might want to dig a little bit deeper into that situation. We don't own a jet, by the way. Or number two, these verses were attached to some kind of campaign uh, or program that your church had uh, going on uh, for like a building or something that required significant funds, significant amount of money. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do because Paul definitely is talking about stewardship here. And there are a lot of church buildings uh, that have been built through campaigns that have been put to great use for ministry work. I'm not here tonight to preach the prosperity gospel, and our facilities here at Wesley are in great shape. But that, that might not even be your biggest objection, right? You might be thinking that I just need to look around and, like, read the room. Now, it could be wrong. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to assume anything here, uh, but I know that there is no lack of talent or industriousness or work ethic present. Uh, but also, if I had to guess, we're <laughs> not exactly rolling in it here this evening. Uh, I mean, the future is bite, but the, the present is ramen, okay? Let's just be real with ourselves. And that is totally okay. I would even say that it's great. Oh, there, there you can hear it a little bit. Uh, because here are a few truths about Wesley. Number one, we are not a church, all right? We are a campus ministry. And because of that, we have a few sources of income that provide us with all of the means uh, that we need, uh, that have been coming for a long time, uh, w and we aren't reliant upon our parishioners to provide us uh, our funding. All right, so there's, there's no Wesley Jet, okay? Uh, we've got two awesome buildings and, like, the most clutch gravel parking lot of all time. Am I right? Got an amen, first one. Uh, and I'm not asking for any money that you don't have. However, even though it may not always seem like it, God has been generous to you. Maybe, maybe we don't always naturally associate generosity and grace together, but sometimes to truly understand giving, we have to be first the one who was given to. Generosity and grace really are two sides of the same coin. I stand before you tonight uh, not exactly as a Wesleyan scholar, uh, even though I'm learning a lot right now uh, in seminary. I work at the Wesley Foundation. Uh, but to be completely honest with you, I grew up Baptist, and I met Hugh at the door back there about seven and a half years ago. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. So maybe if you grew up in a Wesleyan or a Methodist context, you're a little bit more familiar with uh, what we refer to as the graces uh, than I am. But I'm not here to assume anything. And uh, a full understanding of grace is critical to this conversation because it's about so, grace is about so much more than simply getting a second chance. All right, there are three graces. All right, anybody know what the first grace is I'm about to talk about? Prevenient grace. Prevenient grace, good job, Trey, is the grace that goes before us, before we consciously uh, have the chance to know, experience, and believe in Jesus, his death, and his resurrection, right? God, God makes the first move, and everyone you know has experienced a prevenient grace in some form or fashion. This could look like a ride home at 2 a.m. It could like, look like an invitation to uh, Wesley or maybe like Colby shared at our deep dive last night, if you had a chance to come to that. 
Uh, it could look like an invitation to throw your cigarettes under the bed and pray along the way. You never know. But you can't start a fire without a spark, right? And provenient grace draws us in. It, it's what allows us to say yes to God. What's the second grace? Anybody? Jesse? Justifying grace. Now, this is probably like the best definition of what I knew grace to be growing up, right? It's like grace bomb, okay? Game changer, fake field goal, touchdown, like justifying grace. You come to this realization that you can't make it on your own. You're a broken person with sinful ways, no hope, and you need help, which is great because when you come to that place, uh, Jesus and his sacrifice can take your place. You're given the chance to make a 180-degree turn away from the life you've been living and move towards faith in Jesus. He died for us all, but he didn't stay dead. He defeated it, and because of that, we don't have to face death either. The moment of justifying grace is the most important moment in life, but it's not the beginning of the story, and it shouldn't be the end of it either. What's the third grace? Anybody? Sanctifying grace. Great job, everyone. After the moment of a justification comes and goes, uh, you know, you've changed, but like maybe your life hasn't quite changed yet, right? There's still some familiar habits, some comfortable environments, uh, and maybe even some close relationships that don't exactly vibe with uh, this new person that you've become through Jesus. In the process of eliminating all of this familiarity can only happen through the Holy Spirit and an abundance of sanctifying grace. Granted, there's no need to throw out the baby with the bathwater here because your surroundings may not have been 100% bad before the moment of justifying grace, but at the same time, your entire life should be held with an open hand uh, towards God. All right, prevenience, justification, and sanctification. You love to see it, right? Uh, perhaps the best metaphor uh, that we can use, uh, which is a John Wesley original, is that of a house, all right? So just so we're clear, like, grace is grace. It's, we, we experience grace in these three stages, but it's not like grace is a different thing in each one. Grace is drawing us closer uh, to Jesus uh, every step of the way. A prevenient grace is like a front walkway to uh, the house. Repentance, the front porch, and justification, the doorway that you've been invited to take a step through. Sanctification is when you go in and you make yourself at home in that house. You could even say that you abide, you dwell, you live in this house uh, that you've been given the chance to walk into. You see, God has been generous to you and to me, and so we are to be generous with what we have. Now, there is a caveat to this concept of grace that I cannot skip over, and that is the concept of truth, all right? Because if you're familiar with grace, you've probably also met truth along the way. To continue the house metaphor a little bit further, uh, when I was in the second grade, I was having a sleepover with my older brother and our two best friends at the time, and so we were out in the yard uh, it was a night a little bit like this. It was late. It was dark. It was raining, you know, dark and stormy night. And there's a hill that borders our yard and our neighbor's yard. 
And so we found this cardboard in the garage, and we realized that we could slide down this hill because it was, it was slick, and uh, it was just a blast. And we had a great time uh, sliding down that hill for probably an hour or so. Uh, it turns out uh, it was all great fun until we started to, uh, to smell something, like, like on each other. Yeah. And it uh, turns out this is the same hill that our neighbors used uh, for their dogs to go to the bathroom. Uh, and so we go back in the house, right? And we were met by uh, my mom, Felicia, the queen. If you haven't met her, she's great. And so my mom was the voice of truth, all right? She was like, you smell bad. I'm about to wash your clothes. You're all going to take showers because uh, you all stink, and I don't want the furniture also to smell bad. But we were also met by the voice of grace, which was my dad who just couldn't stop laughing. He was just like, this is great. Grace without truth breeds irresponsibility. If we had only been met by laughter when we came into the house, uh, then we may not have known what the big deal was, and we would have proceeded to, uh, you know, just kind of make ourselves at home, let the, let the stank fill the whole house, get it on the furniture, get it on the carpet. But truth without grace breeds shame. We needed to clean up. And my mom was willing uh, to help us do it. But no matter what happens outside the house, uh, no matter where we come from or what we've done, we're all bringing some dirt into the house, right? No matter what happens out there, we're all bringing in, uh, you know, we're bringing in some dirt. Um, God doesn't want us to stay dirty. He wants to clean us up so that we can make ourselves at home in his house so that we can not only abide, but we can abound. And because God has been generous to you and me, and so we can be generous with what we have. And what we have is grace. These verses in 2 Corinthians are a call to action. They speak of sowing, not, not sparingly, but bountifully, so that the harvest can also be bountiful. They speak of giving not reluctantly, but cheerfully, because God loves a cheerful giver. And they are speaking in a monetary sense. If you've got cap space in your budget, then this is a call to splash the cash. But they are a call to action because of a call to grace, abounding grace, which is alive in and through you. I'm not asking you to give, uh, I'm, not ask, I'm not asking you to receive and give money because you can't give what you don't have. Uh, but we're the Wesley Foundation, we're a campus ministry, and you know, uh, we're doing good. But I am asking you to receive and to give grace. If you were to ask me why uh, the Wesley Foundation exists, why we're able to do what we do, the answer is grace. We went to the org fair in the union today as an act of prevenient grace in hopes that someone uh, might find their way to our table, that they would meet somebody uh, and have a chance to en encounter something here that they never have before. And we are here uh, because of the generosity of donors and the church, the Big C Church, who fund us. We gather for worship. We have events like Rooted, uh, like the statewide Le Wesley retreat that's coming up in hopes that someone will experience that moment of justifying grace. And we have groups like Chords and community groups 
and a building that's open 24-7 so that we can share and experience sanctifying grace and be a community of people that looks more like Jesus all the time. You may have heard me say my favorite definition of grace uh, before, and most like good definitions, it's not mine. It's uh, that of the pastor of the church I grew up at. His name is Travis Collins. Grace is God's unlimited, undeserved, and unrelenting love. And God can make all grace abound in and through you. Who is it in your life at the beginning of this new semester that needs grace? Maybe the person you need to show grace to is you before anybody else. Maybe you need to admit to yourself that if you don't get a 4-0 this semester, the world will not be over, and it won't. Maybe you need to reevaluate all of your commitments if you're spread a little bit too thin. Maybe you need to ask yourself if there are boundaries that need to be set in your life. That can be a scary word, uh, but one that I wish I had put into practice in my life a lot sooner than I did. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs grace from you. If you were here uh, early last semester, then you heard me uh, talk about this watch, uh, which was a gift from uh, my small group leader in high school, who we called B-Daddy, uh, who gave it to me the day that I decided to come to Mississippi State, along with the words, Ryan, I love you and I am with you. Maybe you need to let someone know that you're with them, no matter what. Maybe you need to cut someone some slack, and maybe on the flip side, you need to let someone else into your life a little bit further and tell them what is really going on. I don't know who it is for you, but I know that you have grace to give. After 20 years campaigning as the leading English abolitionist, William Wilberforce uh, was critical in the passage of the Slave Trade Act of 1807, uh, which abolished the slave trade within the British Empire. He continued to fight for complete abolition for the remainder of his life, and just three days before he died, the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 was passed, uh, which abolished slavery almost uh, completely in the majority of the British Empire. There are two people who influenced William Wilberforce that I would like to mention. One was John Wesley, who uh, just four days before his death in 1791, which was early in the fight, wrote a letter to William Wilberforce and spoke to the evil of slavery and encouraged uh, William to keep up the fight because God was on his side. The other was a man named John Newton who was critical in convincing Wilberforce after his conversion to stay in politics and to keep up the fight. John Newton was an Anglican minister and a former captain of a ship within the slave trade. And he was the author of a song a few years prior to this that I think you might be familiar with. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. God has been generous to you and to me, so we can be generous with what we have. And what we have is God's unlimited, undeserved, and unrelenting love. What we have is grace. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for, we thank you for rainy nights uh, like this one, nights where we can uh, gather together in a place like this, where we can worship, where we can be together, uh, where we can learn about cool opportunities, uh, where we can read your word. And God, as we, as we embark, uh, as we continue into further into this new uh, semester, God, we just thank you for your grace. And God, for whoever's in this room, for whatever stage of grace that they are in, we thank you for drawing them closer to yourself. God, I pray that you would show us, that you would speak to us tonight who it is in our life that needs your grace. Whether that's us, whether that's somebody that we know, a friend or a family member, God, we just pray that you would rain down your spirit and rain down your grace upon this room this evening. It's in your son's name that we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.